Agriculture is the next big thing here in Western Australia. The industry is diversifying and innovating, and it enjoys an envious growth trajectory based on ever-increasing demand for food and textiles. Join us for the next Success and Leadership Breakfast at the Perth Convention and Exhibition Centre on Tuesday, February 22nd to hear from CBH Group's Chief Executive Ben McNamara and Harvest Road's Chief Executive Paul Slaughter as they share their deep knowledge about the sector. Tickets available online now at businessnews.com.au slash events. Good afternoon and welcome to At Close of Business, a daily podcast hosted by Business News. With Western Australia now shut to the rest of the country and the world, today columnist Gary Adshead speaks to At Close of Business about why the waning protection offered by booster shots of the COVID-19 vaccine may force Premier Mark McGowan's hand on reopening. But first, here's the news you need to know today. The number of locally acquired cases of COVID-19 in Western Australia has climbed by 51 overnight as a man in his 70s became the second person to die in the state with the virus. WA Health confirmed the state had recorded 99 new cases overnight, 48 of whom were return travellers from interstate and overseas. Of the 51 local cases, 44 are close contacts and seven are mystery cases still under investigation. Today's figures take the state's total number of active cases to 482. During a press conference this morning, Premier Mark McGowan confirmed the man in his 70s had died in Joondalup Hospital overnight. It's understood the man, who WA Health claim was unvaccinated and had an underlying health condition, had been in and out of ICU after contracting the virus at an event in Perth's northern suburbs. The man was not connected to the outbreak, which has resulted in a lockdown and visitation bans at Juniper's aged care facility in Bentley. While saying it was clear the state was starting to get a clearer picture of the impact of Omicron on the community, Mr McGowan reiterated that there was no reason for panic. Meanwhile, the state's third dose vaccination rate continues to climb, with more than 49% of Western Australians over the age of 16 having now received a booster shot. A total of 98.3% of Western Australians over the age of 12 have received their first dose of a COVID-19 vaccine, with 94.2% now fully vaccinated. And prominent businessman Nev Power will have to wait another two weeks to find out whether he will serve jail time after pleading guilty to two counts of breaching the state's COVID-19 travel restrictions. Mr Power appeared in Perth Magistrates Court today alongside his 36-year-old son Nicholas on three charges, including two counts of failing to comply with a direction under the state's Emergency Management Act. That third charge, however, has since been dropped. The court was told Mr Power and his son failed to complete G2G passes before flying from Queensland to Exmouth, Carnarvon, Geraldton and then back to Jandicott on board a private helicopter. Lawyer for the pair, Sam Van Dongen, told the court this afternoon that Mr Power was dripping with remorse, lodging 13 character references and submitting that the matter should be dealt with by way of fines, with no question as to Mr Power's capacity to pay. But Magistrate Elizabeth Woods indicated she was of the view that the offence warranted 
warranted a harsher penalty, saying that the pair's views were obviously contrasting. Mr Van Dongen described Mr Power as a stickler for the law, revealing that stresses on his life at the time, including his relationship with his wife of 36 years and the inability to attend the funeral of a loved one due to travel restrictions, had led to his lapse in judgment. He insisted Mr Power was not backing away from his wrongdoing, but said it was a decision made because he felt obliged to return to WA and fulfil his work and personal commitments in the state. The pair are expected to be sentenced on February 24. Mr Van Dongen also sought a four-week adjournment for Air Power Australia, with that matter to be heard on March 11. And Synergy has selected a buyer for the old South Fremantle power station, but won't reveal who. In June last year, Synergy announced it would run a rapid expression of interest process to redevelop the disused 70-year-old power station in North Coogee after receiving an unsolicited bid. The process ran for just eight days, with the government saying at the time that the successful party would be announced in September of 2021. Synergy has picked a preferred partner, but will not yet name the counterparty. The state's main electricity retailer also declined to say how many parties had applied through the process, saying questions on the deal could not be answered because they were commercial in confidence. We'll be right back. We understand that business relies on being informed. That's why Business News is your most reliable source of news, industry insights and business connections. To stay fully informed, we encourage you to subscribe to our emails, flick through our magazine and visit businessnews.com.au for daily news updates. It's the best way to ensure you have the information you need to be future ready. Business News. More news, more insights, more connections. I, and I imagine many others, can remember a time when the idea of a vaccine for the coronavirus was a pipe dream. It wasn't going to happen, but obviously in the past two years we have perfected vaccines. There are many candidates available that are very effective, but we've begun to have a new understanding of how they work, and one of the principles is waning immunity. Now, we've seen some recommendations come out overnight from Atagi. Uh, saying that a third dose would be needed to have an up-to-date vaccine schedule. And here in Western Australia, there's a requirement for many workers to have their third dose of the vaccine to be considered fully vaccinated. Now, Gary, you wrote a bit around waning immunity in our most recent edition of the magazine, and you spoke about it in regards to the delayed border reopening. Can you talk me through your thoughts on the idea of waning immunity here in Western Australia? Yeah, it's a major issue. And it's not me that sort of has this knowledge. It's the uh, the chief health officer himself, who, of course, uh, when he was advising the government to postpone the 5th of February reopening, he, he, made, he goes on to make very strong points about uh, the potency of, of a double shot uh, in people particularly in the aged and, of course, those frontline workers. Because people, people might not realise, I mean, the frontline workers have had their third dose um, in around December. Uh, so according to the Chief Health Officer and a lot of the experts that operate around the world looking at waning immunity, they're saying that uh, 10 weeks after you've had your jab, uh, your potency of that, uh, of that vaccine uh, drops by about 25%. So let's just do the math. If you've had it in December, it's already on the way down for a lot of the frontline healthcare workers. This is why this is why it's crucial. It's absolutely crucial 
to open up because if you don't and you keep us behind a locked border, you are allowing the situation to drag on to a point where the people you put on the front line to deal with Omicron or whatever variant's coming our way, uh, their actual ability to fight it and resist uh, being uh, you know, more seriously um, infected is going. It's disappearing. It's disappearing right now because the third dose has already been administered. So that's what it's all about, really. I mean, they say that by the 2nd of March, we should be about 75% triple-vaxxed. So therefore, if we're triple-vaxxed by the uh, 2nd of March, we should, we must open in March. Now, I'll just go out there right now and say it. We will be open in WA between either Friday the 18th of March and Monday 21st of March. It's that simple. I've done the math. I'm not great at it, but I've done it. And uh, we have to open between Friday the 18th of March and Monday the 21st of March. Otherwise, the Premier has painted himself into an almighty uh, corner and he's got a big problem because of waning immunity and the fact that everyone's done the right thing, but he's left it go too long and the ability to uh, deal with Omicron will be fading by the minute, by the day, particularly in the aged care people and people who work on the front line. So there you go. Friday, 18th of March to Monday, the 21st of March. Lock it in. That will be the reopening time. Matt, during the week, we've seen the opposition come out with their own date. Uh, Their date of choice is March 5. Uh, How do you reflect on that as a political choice? Well, uh, yeah, Gary, they'll probably be uh, keen to hear that your date is not too far off the one that they've called for. And I guess we'll see whether the Premier does actually do it or whether he... Um, finds a, another reason. Uh, and do you know what? It would be so much easier, I think, to get a grasp on what the projections might be if the state government were a little bit more transparent with the modelling, which we can perhaps come back to. But certainly the opposition calling for on or before March 5th, similar to what uh, Gary's just been saying, it's a talking about the waning immunity problem that we have here in the state. And uh, as he said, people getting vaccinated in or getting their third dose going into last year, uh, over time, it's going to wane. So the opposition has really changed the way they approach this issue. Because you'll remember 18 months ago, it was all about, oh, we've got to reopen because there might be some jobs lost in tourism. Um, and then they lo- went lockstep with the government because the reopening bid did not play so well for them. Well, now they actually have an opportunity here where there's a very strong health argument and, and probably the economic argument is becoming stronger in terms of reopening or at least not um, stuffing around with the date further and making WA look like a, a risky jurisdiction. Um, so now the, 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 the facts and the details of the argument are probably more on, the, more on their side in having a different position from the government, and that's why they've kind of gone out on a bit of a limb. And I noticed it didn't get a, a huge amount of coverage, actually, on the day, at least not initially. We had something here that got a lot of, it got a lot of interest from readers. Um, but I think it goes to show that the politics of this issue, this issue is changing because they are, they're now willing to have a bit of courage and have a different position from the government. Also in that Chief Health Office report, which is dated 19 January, he says that we can expect a significant influenza season in 2022, which may arrive early. So the other issue is this twin outbreaks, that we're going to hit a peak of Omicron at the same time as the flu season starts, unless we get moving and... That's a real concern. He also points out that hospital occupancy is typically best in the months of February, March and April. So again, there are messages in there that say, unless we open up the border and start to deal with this now, rather than leaving it until a flu season comes along as well and you get this double whammy, then we've got more problems. 
just jumping in there because Matt, you mentioned there before something around uh, state government's modelling, and I'll, I'll invite both of you to offer your comments on this. What impact do you think that absence of modelling has had on public opinion and uh, confidence in when WA will reopen? Well, Matt, well, it's there in black and white. Uh, the February health advice from the chief health officer, uh, the third big paragraph talks about based on the available modelling and evidence from international studies. And he's talking about where Omicron's going to go and where it's going to lead us. Now, that's based on available modelling. Well, OK, show us. Why do they want to keep that under wraps? It's got me staggered. Every time the Premier's asked about it or the Health Minister's been asked about it, they talk in riddles around the modelling. But there's no point releasing any preliminary modelling. Well, if you've got Chief Health Officer advice, which actually makes a point of saying, based on the available modelling, which all leads to his decision-making, then the public has a right to see it and they've got to stop hiding that sort of stuff. Look, the biggest, the biggest problem covering this stuff as a journalist has been at the moment is that you get a real sense that the health minister, the premier and others know full well where they're heading, know week by week what they're going to do, but they don't tell us about things like the modelling that's led them to these decisions. So, you know, I have a sense now that they know their opening date, okay? Mm. But, and if it's based on this modelling, then why do they play this this game of secrecy around uh, the sort of the figures that are put in front of them that are leading to these decisions? That's what I I'm starting to resent as a journalist that's you know there to try and get as much information to the public because look yes yeah, of course it's affecting the politicians and the the bureaucrats as well, but there are so many people out there that just can't move forward. So many companies out there that don't know when and if. And it's just starting to get ridiculous. They refer to modelling, but don't want to release it. Yeah, to, to your question, Jordan, on uh, on what the impact would be, I mean, it just gives certainty to people, doesn't it? And I think, you know, it's, it's reasonable to be in a position where you say, look, this is our plan, and if X happens, we'll need to change it. Um, and just to go back a few months, you know, Mark McGowan didn't really take that approach with the Feb 5 date. He kept saying that it was definitely Feb 5, definitely Feb 5, Omicron should be fine, won't make a difference, until suddenly that, that wasn't the position. So if you release the modelling and you're very clear about what the thresholds are, you know, similar with the, with the, the case, the high case threshold for changes to restrictions um, and for changes to case definitions and all the rest of it, if you can be clear about these things in advance, you can give people a lot more certainty um, and they can, not just for businesses or to, to plan around it and, and for people, um, but also people are going to understand if you need to make changes, things don't go according to the modelling. People will understand that. But if you don't have the modelling and the transparency in the first place, then the whole thing just looks very confusing. Well, the high caseload thing that you just raised then, well, you, someone explained that to me. So uh, go back a week and a half and we've got the Premier obviously talking about um, when we reach higher caseload thresholds, when we reach higher caseload thresholds, we need to get the very high caseload thresholds. Not saying what that was, saying that the Chief Health Officer had to come up with the formula that would dictate what that high caseload threshold was. And then there's a lot of pressure on the Premier clearly in relation to bringing it back to seven days quarantine and changing the close contact setting so that works, workplaces have some sort of um, rules to apply that, that make them possible to stay open okay and then all of a sudden <laughs> all of a sudden we reach the high case uh, the case low threshold which is which is about oh, an average of 20 new cases over an eight day period what really that was the very high case low threshold that we had to reach that just sounded like a, a ludicrous proposition and again you know they still haven't said 
what the high caseload threshold was that the Chief Health Officer was looking for. He just turned up and said, oh, we've reached it now, that'll do. We can go back to a seven-day quarantine and, and, and the close contact settings can change. They're making it up as they go along. One thing I want to draw the both of you on just before we wrap up today's episode is around the possibility of a fourth dose. We've spoken a bit in general terms around uh, shifting the goalposts, but we've seen in some countries, most notably Israel, where there is a, a fourth dose now recommended. Do you foresee a situation in which the goalposts are shifted yet again in favour of a fourth dose to rectify some of these issues around waning immunity? I think, yeah, probably we'll end up in a position where, we, where we'll need to be getting fourth doses. I don't know if it'll necessarily lead to changes to the border restrictions or an extension of the border restrictions because people will just see that as possibly being, you know, getting absolutely ridiculous. Um, what might lead to, to a further extension of the border is if another strain comes along that's particularly more deadly or what have you, um, that could lead to a problem. But, uh, you know, if, if there's immunity that's going to wane within just a few months, it, it would seem that there would need to be updated doses again later this year and then next year and, and so on. Um, and uh, the, the question for the government is going to need to be, here's the problem for the government, right, is that if you are being inconsistent in how you reward or punish, if I can use that phrase, people for, or the society for going along with what you're asking, if you're being inconsistent about it, eventually you're going to lose a bit of credibility on it. So we're in a risk, we're in a situation of some risk where people say, well, gee, I went and got my two doses, you promised me X, Y and Z, you didn't do it. I don't, you know, I'm not convinced that I want to go out and do the third. Um, and then when you get to the fourth, you might have even more pushback, right? So this is going to become an increasing problem that the government needs to think about. If it's constantly fiddling around with the way it wants to deal with this um, and it's inconsistent about it um, and it's not clear to people in advance about how it's going to behave and the decisions it's going to make, it's going to lead to people le losing a little bit of confidence. Not everybody. Most people probably will still go ahead and, and get their extra doses. But over time, it's going to whittle down the, the, the confidence people have in the government to make decisions around this. Federally is what we need. We need some sort of consistency across all the states now. So if, if the third dose will be mandatory as an up-to-date uh, vaccine across the country, I've already said that that won't necessarily be the case for people coming into Australia, tourists. So that's good news for the tourism sector, who are obviously very worried that two-thirds of the world are not triple-jabbed, and therefore that would cut off a lot of tourism into Australia. So now it's just going to come down to Australian citizens having a third dose, but if they're now using the term up-to-date vaccine, up-to-date. So that means that we'll be required probably to have boosters on a yearly basis, a bit like the flu jab that we obviously know is a, a regime in place for people to get the flu jab. I think that that's what's going to become normal, that we'll have to have a, a booster pretty well every year. Um, and that needs to be applied across all states in a very um, simple regime as opposed to each state going it alone on that. Otherwise, yeah, you're right, uh, Matt, there'll be just resistance and confusion and people that are saying, well, hang on, that's not fair. So it's just got to be straight down the line. Uh, we now are in a situation where we get an update, updated vaccine uh, yearly. One can only hope we won't be here having this conversation in the next six weeks again. <laughs> Gary, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Pleasure. Stay on top of the latest news stories that are impacting your business, industry or sector. The New Look Business News app gives subscribers breaking news alerts, access to e-editions, articles by category, as well as our advanced data and insights search function to find projects, people and companies. It's your mobile portal to the latest intelligence on commerce, politics and industry, wherever you are. Stay informed at critical times and download today. 
Visit businessnews.com.au slash app, download on the App Store, or get it on Google Play now. This podcast was brought to you by Optus Stadium, now taking orders for your next breakfast or lunch meeting. If you like what you've heard, head to our Spotify page to like and subscribe. New episodes of At Close of Business are available every day in time for our afternoon wrap. I'm Jordan Murray. See you tomorrow.